This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Office meetings at time can be long, boring, and seemingly endless. Surveys show that 9 out of 10 workers admit to daydreaming while sitting through meetings. But what if there was a way to enhance the quality of these gatherings while shortening the length? Our next guest offers some proven practices and techniques to help managers and employees do just that. Stephen Rogelberg is the author of the book. He is uh, also a professor of organizational science management and psychology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. The book is titled The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. And a pleasure to have Stephen on the show right now. Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You know, what I find amazing is that this is a topic that that has been discussed. It has been talked about for quite some time. Yet here we are continually discussing it. So it's like people will will know that it's a problem, but we really haven't done enough to 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 try and tackle it. You do uh, by by bringing this book out. Why do you think that is right now? Well, I think people have been talking about meetings for a long time, but I think this book is in a very unique space um, because it's leveraging science. And for the last 20 years, I've been heavily engaged in science around meetings, and other folks have been doing science around meetings and teams, and there are evidence-based solutions. And these solutions are surprising. So, you know, give you a quick example. You know, every book you pick up about meetings says, have an agenda. Right. Well, our research actually shows that having an agenda in of itself does nothing for meeting effectiveness. <laughs> it's a much more nuanced discussion. So what do you think are some of the most important components to having a good, successful meeting? Well, there's a lot, um, and that's really what I try to capture in yeah. the book, that it's, a, you know, it's kind of a more of a systemic, holistic perspective. But there's certainly some things that are important, and it truly starts with mindset. You know, to the extent that the leader recognizes that they're fundamentally a steward of others' time, well, when they have that perspective, they lead their meeting differently, right? They think more carefully about who needs to be there. They think more carefully about what truly needs to be discussed and how much time. And most importantly, when you have that mindset, you facilitate the meeting, right? So you're not just about featuring your own voice, but you are facilitating the experience so that it's truly a valuable one. So that steward mindset is key. And then there's a host of other things from, you know, managing size and, um, time and things like that that I'm happy to speak about. Well, uh, and also, I would think that the mindset of the employees as well plays a, plays a role into this, because I think most employees today have a, a perception about going into a meeting. But if you have a, uh, a positive look uh, about it, that uh, you are going to go in there and, and you are going to gain something from that meeting, whatever it might be about, th- then that changes the tenor of the meeting as well. I mean, certainly the employee's mindset matters, but, you know, it's really um, employees have been beaten down, um, and so much of this rests on the leader um, fundamentally thinking about meetings differently. Um, And by doing so, they're going to change employee attitudes and opinions about them, Mm -hmm. but it has to be earned capital. And... Because leaders contain or have so much of the power of this entire experience, um, you know, that's the, we got to start there. 
you also uh, uh, bring up the fact that there are times where you don't even necessarily have to have a quote-unquote meeting to be able to address whatever the particular topic is. I would imagine that, and I'm not sure what the percentage is, periods of time where a meeting is called and it really didn't have to be called. Yeah, I mean, you're, that's a, a great point. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we find is that so much of meeting activity is just habits. Um, and these habits just keep perpetuating, you know, each week at a particular time. We find leaders engaging in so much um, agenda rehash. Um, in fact, you could even, you know, just put a different date on top of the agenda, and right. it's the, you know, you see it pop up again. So all these habits um, just keep emerging, and, you know, people don't think critically about, hey, maybe this is not a particular topic that needs to be dis- discussed in this meeting. Maybe what I can do is actually send out the information, and then when we meet at a kind of a natural time, we designate, you know, five minutes to answering any questions about it. Um, but instead, we tend to err on the side of just holding people captive. How do you deal with the remote aspect at times in a meeting? Because many companies, you won't have every person that you need to speak to in that particular uh, in that particular room, you'll have people, you know, uh, coming in uh, via, you know, fi- uh, you know, via video chat. How, how do you deal with that aspect to it? Yeah. Um, so this is such a vexing problem. Um, I actually have a whole chapter in my book um, that's basically titled "The Folly of the Remote Meeting," and these meetings are plagued with so much dysfunction. Um, and the skills required to effectively carry out a remote meeting um, are much more meaningful. Um, those meeting leaders that you know we find can carry these out, um, first of all, you know, very much um, understand that they are playing the role of an air traffic controller. That people in remote meetings tend to just disappear into the background, um, especially when they're not video based. And that remote leader has to bring them out. Um, they have to make sure people don't recognize that they are anonymous. And I'll, I'll tell you a kind of a funny research story that one of the things that we find when we ask people about remote meetings is we, we say, what is the uh, most dysfunctional meeting type? And everyone says remote meeting. And then right. we say to them, well, what meeting type do you most prefer? They say the remote meeting (laughs) because they can just blend into the background and multitask. Right. And so there really are a variety of different approaches that can be done. But most importantly, we have to get the meeting leader to think differently about this. If you have an hour long meeting with 20 people on a phone call, like nothing good will come from that. So those types of meetings just have to be organized differently and structured differently and we need to do different things. Yeah, because you have all of those people that that want to be able, especially if they're calling in on a on a landline, uh, they want to be able to put their phone on hold if they can while they're doing uh, work on their computer at their home, right? You're so right. Yeah. And so, but these meetings are necessary, even with incredible technologies around meetings. Um, there's still times that people are going right. to be on the go that they're going to need to use their phone. Um, so there is a path forward with them. Um, right. I mean, there, it was really exciting to, to talk about techniques for doing them, but it's definitely a meeting type that just can't be, no pun intended, 
dialed in. <laughs> you're, you're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. We are joined on the phone by Stephen Rogelberg, who is a professor of organi- organizational science, management, and psychology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. He is also uh, author of the new book, The Surprising Science of Meetings. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, so Stephen, one of the unique chapters that you have in this book is amazing because it's right on point about the timing or the length of the meeting. And when people invariably go to their online calendar and they want to set up a meeting, the, the, the software automatically blocks out 30 minutes or an hour. Period. Those are the choices that realistically they get. You talk about the fact, don't do that. Set up a meeting for 45 minutes or 32 minutes or or 51 minutes. Make it something different to kind of change the flow. Yeah. You know, I just want a leader to actually think, um, to think about how much time is truly needed in the meeting. You know, just defaulting to the setting on Outlook or Google Calendar is just a terrible mistake and just not kind to the other participants, um, the attendees of the meeting. So once we have an idea of how long an agenda should take, well, make the meeting for that, or most preferably, I encourage leaders, based on the research, to dial that amount down five to 10 minutes. So if you think it's gonna take 38 minutes, actually make the meeting for 32 minutes. Right. Because what we find in research is that when humans under are, are under are under a little bit of pressure, they tend to focus better and perform more optimally. So I like the idea of a meeting leader adding a little bit of pressure. I like them having more playful times. I don't care if they start a meeting at 12 minutes after an hour. I mean, give people a little time to do what they were doing beforehand and then start a meeting not on the actual hour. It's like the mindset of going to school, you know? How many times in classes did you have one class finish at 11.55 and the next class started like 12.06? That's right. Right. No, that's right. The book is The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. Uh, Stephen Rogelberg is the author of the book. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. I would imagine by, by putting that little bit of pressure in the meeting, you know, by shortening up the time frame a little bit, it also uh, prevents people from getting too relaxed in that chair, and and, and that daydreaming process can be cut yeah. cut off as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, one of the things that um, the kind of the scientific findings we I discuss in the book is this notion of Parkinson's law, and Parkinson's law is uh, the concept that work expands to whatever time is allotted to it. So if you schedule something for an hour, magically, it takes an hour. Right. And on the other side, though, you can use this for our advantage. You know, if you, you schedule for 32 minutes, it will take 32 minutes. And if that's an ambitious um, amount of time for the particular agenda items, yeah, I mean, people will be present. And I don't mean just present and physically. I mean mentally present. 
right? They recognize that they're there to get something done. Right. And that's what people want. Um, people are just way too busy to lose large amounts of time. You also say, though, that there are times where in, in, in meetings that you don't even necessarily have to have a whole lot of talk as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the um, really fun thing about the, the science is that there are lots of ways that um, silence in meetings can be leveraged. And I'll share one example. So a very common activity in meetings is for folks to brainstorm. Um, it could be brainstorming ideas for a campaign or what have you. Well, if you actually have people brainstorm ideas on paper as opposed to verbally and then collected those ideas, you will get nearly twice as many ideas. They will be higher quality and they'll be more creative. So brainstorming in silence allows people to be more honest they don't filter based on what the boss just said, and it allows for everyone to speak at once, right? Because you're not waiting for that one person to finish their idea. Mm. So it's a simple technique, and there's plenty of other ones around silence that can very much energize a good meeting. And what's, I think, pretty exciting is that there are a host of software apps now that can facilitate this process, that allow for brainstorming on your phone, and then the outcomes are just shot right to the front of the screen. Again, the book is The, uh, the Surprising Science of Meetings by Stephen Rogelberg. How you can lead your team to peak performance. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. I, I, guess, I guess leaders, Stephen, are, 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 they are trying to... For the you know whatever type of meeting they are having, they're trying to do their best. But do they get too involved, too enwrapped, uh, wrapped up in the entire process and not delivering the message uh, that they probably should? Well, first of all, I I, I don't know if leaders are actually trying their best. Um, okay, I think that leaders um, don't necessarily know what trying your best even means. Um, research shows that only around 20% of leaders receive any training on meetings. Okay, so there are 55 million meetings a day in the U.S., and yet only 20% of leaders receive any training. And at the same time, what our research finds is that leaders have a blind spot when it comes to meetings. Namely, that when you folks leave a meeting, there is one person who invariably says, hey, that was a good meeting. Can you guess who that person is? <laughs> it's the leader, yeah. right? The leader yeah. has the control, the power, they're talking, and they think it's going well. So this is kind of a double whammy, right? You have no training, and these people think they're doing a good job. And when that's in place, I don't think a leader truly knows what to do to even design a really good meeting. And what they do is just kind of recycle the practices that they themselves experienced when they weren't a leader, right. and we know that those are dysfunctional. How do you view the, the, the idea, and you talk about it in the book, the concept of, of, of sharing the wealth in a meeting, like, you know, divvying out certain aspects of the meeting to people that are, that are in that meeting to begin with? Yeah, 
this goes back to that steward mindset. So if I'm orchestrating, I'm putting together a meeting, um, it might be the case that there are actually a couple agenda items that should be facilitated by someone else. In fact, I could have maybe one of my subordinates lead this, this item. It gets them really involved. It gets them practicing how to lead an effective meeting. I could even provide them with some feedback on how I saw their performance. But most importantly, it prevents us from viewing meetings as just a leader show, right? right? The leader is putting a performance. Instead, the entire group is involved, and it changes the culture of the meeting, right? It makes the meeting into a culture of inclusion, of discussion, involvement. And this is where meetings can actually be great. And our research shows that when meetings are done well, they become sources of positive energy for our employees. So we always think about meetings as sucking energy, but they can be really a great source of positive energy when done well. And also the aspect of how many people are at that meeting as well, correct? Yeah, I mean, meeting size matters. Um, I have a, you know, a chapter um, in my book, you know, The Bigger the Batter. And basically it's the idea that meeting dysfunction expands as size expands. Um, it's just much more challenging. Um, with large meetings, you have communication issues, and you have something called social loafing, you know, which is the idea that people start to just hide in the crowd. So our goal is to get these meetings to be as lean as possible. And there are some yeah. strategies that one can do. We're talking with uh, Stephen Rogelberg, who is the author of the book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. You also take a little time in, in the book to discuss, uh, and I guess this has to occur when you're only having a conversation with a couple of people about a topic, uh, something that I guess Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg have done uh, is the walking meeting. Sure. There are so many different types of meetings that people can have. Um, so there's a stand-up versus sit-down meeting. Uh, Standing-up meetings produce the same quality of outcomes as a sitting-down meeting, but in half as much time. And then there's a walking meeting. And walking meetings are really terrific when it's just, let's say, you and one other person or you and a couple folks. Um, they can create focus. Obviously, it gets people out of their office. Um, people can get outside. People get steps on their Fitbit. Um, there's lots of pause that can emerge from it. There are a few you know, important caveats. So first of all, walking meetings, you, know, you have to keep that meeting size really small. Yeah. Two is that people need to know in advance that you're having a walking meeting. That way we make sure that everyone has the right shoes, um, which yeah. is relevant. <laughs> um, and three, you actually want to think about where you're walking. Um, 
as funny as it sounds, you want to make sure you're walking in a circle. So you wind up back where you started. Sure, yes. And it didn't take too long. <laughs> Unless you have to have the car service come pick you up or something like that, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you even bring up an interesting idea for when you do have a meeting in like a conference room that uh, that you should bring the concept of bringing items to the table that would – you know, be fun, uh, you know, toys to the table per se. Well, what, here's what we know. We know that meetings are experienced like interruptions, that people are doing their work, then they're called to a meeting, and they psychologically experience it as an interruption. And we know from the research that interruptions put people in bad moods. Yeah. We also know that when people are in bad moods, they tend to be more rigid in their thinking and less creative and just not as open and receptive to others' ideas. Those are all bad things. Right. I mean, right. those are not fun people to hang out with. So what I talk about in the book is just this idea of what can a leader do to create more positive energy in a meeting? And there are a variety of different things that can be done that can help people be a little bit more glad to be there. Um, so whether it's, you know, being playful and throwing some, uh, you know, Play-Doh on a table, fine. But I certainly wouldn't advocate that all the time right. for yeah. all different groups. Right. But what I, what I want the leader to do is just be aware of kind of the negative mood that people often bring in. And one of the things that is most important is for leaders to recognize that they're a host. And when people come into the meeting, they should welcome them. They should express appreciation for them being there. They should make introductions to others that they, that those people might not know. And those types of host-like behaviors tend to be most effective for helping people kind of deal with the negative effects of an interruption. Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. Good luck with the book. Greatly appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stephen Rogelberg from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. His book is titled The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.